0: Welcome, everybody, to the Health and Wellness Show. Today is Friday, October 27th, 2017. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. And joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, uh, we have Tiffany, Elliot, Doug, and Gabby. Hey, everybody. Hello. 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 Awesome. Hello. So we're, miss- we're missing Erica today. I uh, wish her well and hope that we-, we get to talk to her next week. Uh, today, we are talking about the flu season and the hype around flu season. Um it's that time of year. Uh, this is when all of the uh, get your vaccine here materials get rolled out. The, uh, the fear mongering mm-hmm. about the flu gets rolled out. Uh, the statistic that 36,000 people a year die from the flu is also rolled out. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so we, we want to be clear and say that we are not implying that certain flus can be da- can't be dangerous. Uh, you certainly need to watch out for you know getting sick. Um, but this seems to be one of these kind of like yearly things that everybody gets freaked out about. And it's really not. I mean, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about before the show how everybody has gotten the flu. I mean, I really I'd be curious, like what percentage of the world population has never gotten the flu or flu like symptoms from something. It's got to be really mm-hmm. super small.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the only thing that we can say with any certainty is that everybody has experienced flu-like symptoms, whether it's caused by the flu or a score of other ailments right.
2: mm-hmm. that
1: have flu-like symptoms. Because when you think that you have the flu, it's very, very rare that your doctor will actually take a specimen and test you for a flu virus. Mm-hmm. That's true. And even when so they do that, I think it. one of the statistics that I read was that uh, out of hundreds of thousands of respiratory samples taken from people who have the flu, or so they think, and they're tested, only a small percentage, like 16%, actually show that there's flu virus there. Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I feel like that yeah. can also be used to connect, you know, fear with a bunch of everything, other things. If you ever do the uh, the late night WebMD searching for something because you're freaked out about what you might have.
2: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh flu symptoms, you know, flu-like symptoms is ever you could think that you have cancer because you have flu-like symptoms. You know, it's, yeah, it's actually, a bad time actually to a
1: hypochondriac. I looked it up, and there's hundreds, hundreds of diseases that have flu-like symptoms, from yeah. AIDS to TB. You can have flu-like symptoms with food poisoning. To transition a low carb diet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The keto flu. You can have uh, drug withdrawal and have flu-like symptoms.
2: Hmm.
3: Yeah, and it's funny because then you, you think about the numbers that uh, the government bodies will all put out, like the CDC and the WHO, and it's like they say, oh, yeah, 36,000 people die every year of the flu. And it's like, well, nobody's testing for the flu. So yeah. those numbers don't actually mean anything. It's that could dying. be any respiratory illness or something that and could it include is- pneumonia and... All kinds of
2: other
4: things it is actually biased because they focus on the flu but it is not only the flu virus it's also the host you know mm. what if the person has chronic obstructive pulmonary disease like any whatever infectious disease is going to be harder on him
2: mm-hmm. yeah
4: so what was yeah, well, it, you the flu can... or the chronic obstructive?
2: <laughs> yeah
0: right i mean you can get your immune system knocked down and get pneumonia you know a whole host of mm. things uh, mm-hmm. If you know, if you've ever had chicken pox, you can get shingles. You know, if you if your mm-hmm. immune system is lowered, there's I mean, there, there's tons. Um, but yeah, the the I think the salient point there is that statistic. They didn't test 36,000 you know um, deceased people to find. And that they, they never
1: confirmed the that number yeah. with any lab either. Yeah. No. And they made so it actually. <laughs> so basically, just made up it up.
3: Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. They just made it up. And it's kind of like it's, it's it's like these kinds of statistics are clearly, like in my mind, used to just sell vaccines. Because yes. the vaccine is the only thing that they offer as a possible solution. Uh, they don't mention anything else. They tell you that all herbal supplements, et cetera, and lifestyle changes are, not, are no match for the flu. So they pump out this number of 36,000 deaths and then, you know, to sell more vaccines. And from what I can tell, it works.
4: How much people does the United States have?
3: uh, like uh three hundred million. million around. Yeah, yeah three hundred
4: fifty million. this year, the uh, lab, you know, big pharma company manufactured one hundred sixty-five million vaccines just for the United States. Mm-hmm. So they are wishing their campaign is going to be that good, yeah. so that many vaccines are going to be, you know, used this season.
5: Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if if they were. Sure. sure yeah it's if
2: everywhere. they have a shortage
5: i don't know what this Well,
1: sometimes they, like they try to guys. create buzz that there's going to be a shortage just to get people to you know increase demand for their product
3: yeah that's true right. and, and i've seen another tactic used this year as well where they're talking about how bad the flu season was in australia and saying wow it's been so bad in australia that means it's gonna be really bad here too so everybody get vaccinated
0: how does that connect? I mean, is that a thing? I suppose through, air, through airline flights, hey, it, it could be. So this is This my first well, test How's it getting here? But...
3: Well, yeah. the through The, the one doctor who was through quoted the in the yeah. ar- article was saying that um, it isn't, you know, you can't look at Australia and say, and it, it doesn't really have any better predictive than just like, you know, flipping a coin. It's going to be a bad flu, flu season? Heads or tails?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, that, there's the thing I find
3: interesting
0: about that too is the um all the the strains i hear at least around here i don't know if it's like this for you guys where every year it's like ooh, the bad one this year is x you know and they come out with Mm. the strain of the flu or what a lot of people are getting but i don't think i mean i really don't think that they know that i mean i'm not saying that those cases don't come up here and there and maybe somebody comes out of the hospital and says i had influenza a and then everybody goes oh i have it too uh, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it, there's not much talk about, like, like you mentioned, Doug, like what you can actually do. I mean, we have the flu shot stations everywhere. They're in the shop. Yeah. They're in Walmart, you know, they're in your grocery yeah. store. Uh, it's mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, and yeah, I, I think <clears throat> in general, you know, and I don't know this sounds like kind of a pat answer, but if you improve your diet, uh, if you at least quit eating like a ton of sugar and processed foods, like chemical Mm -hmm. preservatives you would decrease uh, your chances of getting the flu by like 80 percent
3: yeah that's my or even if you did get it it would
0: mitigate it like
5: Mm
3: -hmm. significantly you know it would be like a bad cold kind of
5: yeah let's just put it this way okay so a lot of the symptoms associated with what we know is the flu include a stuffy nose um, a cough you know headaches um, a fever uh, and like a chesty a semi sort of chest infection, yeah. Bills so, but, aches. yeah, I mean these yeah. symptoms are so um, prevalent in, I mean, so many other conditions. And there's, I mean, there's a there's some research which implicates the gut in all of this. And that's because the the gut is is like the house of the immune system. So it's predicted or it's estimated that around 60 to 80 percent of the immune system actually is um is contained within the gut associated lymphoid tissue. Okay, so there's something called the gut lung axis. And what this means is is that when the gut is not working properly, um it can allow certain bacteria and certain inflammatory substances to pass into the lungs. And there's like a bi directional communication system between the lungs and the gut. Okay, so a lot of research implicates um, things like uh, respiratory illness and coughs and colds actually with uh, some inflammation that is, that is present in the gut. Okay. And now my line of thinking is that if you, if you have someone who goes through a really long winter in the West, in in the Northern hemisphere, they lack vitamin D, they lack sunlight. um, Their, their overall immune system is going to be lowered. Okay. Now I, I would tend to think that this is predominantly in the gut because that's where most of the immune system actually resides. Um, and I think that when you have less protection in your gut, you allow certain things called endotoxins into the bloodstream. So these are like bacterial metabolites, okay? Um, and the endotoxin can initiate all of the symptoms of what we know as the flu. Okay, so this research shows that a lot of what we know is the flu is actually endotoxin and it starts in the Mm. gut. It's not necessarily something that you get from the outside world. And it kind of brings in the whole argument, you know, is it the host or is it the microbe? And the question, you know, it seems like it's more more of the host. It's not necessarily what you come into contact with. It's more how your immune system is able to deal with um, the stresses of the environment.
2: You know? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I'm with the on that, children Elliot. and the young people usually have like digestive issues when they have the flu like diarrhea, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So and they have like a more immature immune system as well.
1: Mm-hmm. well I think that the flu, you know from statistics that most of the flus aren't actually caused by a flu virus, I think that the flu is just the body's way of detoxing certain hmm. endotoxins, and everybody has those same symptoms, the cough, the chills, the muscle ache, the fever. I mean, that's what the body does to expel toxins. But to say that it's caused by a flu virus is not necessarily true. Like a herximary reaction. Yeah. Think.
3: But then why does, why does it tend to spread?
1: Well, it happens mostly in the wintertime and you have the lack of sunlight and the lack of vitamin D and the lowered immunity mm. because of that. And people mm-hmm. share the same environments. They sh- often eat the same diets, like if they live together, maybe they have a similar mm. level of immunity or lack thereof and people get sick. Well, there,
0: there are, I mean, there, there are viruses and, and and bacterial infections, right? You know, that. so like I think the, Doug, to your question, the way it would spread, say somebody uh, is experiencing this like some kind of a Herxheimer reaction, their immune system is lowered, they come into contact with somebody else, they get a bacteria or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. then the person that they live with who may have a stronger immune system may then be susceptible to that, like getting stronger in the infected person, right? I mean, doesn't it become kind of, I guess this is just my layperson's interpretation that if you have a bacterial infection, And it gains ground and becomes stronger, you would be, therefore, like, slightly more Or Maybe the seasonal,
4: you know, the seasonal periodicity, it not only has to do with, you know, things like vitamin C or the climate. Mm -hmm. It could be like a new genetic code introduced by, you know, this micro-infectious agent uh, introduced through the atmosphere. Somebody a long time ago made an observation. We well, I don't know if I pronounced it right. Um, he was speculating that uh, usually the flu starts in Asia like China, Hong Kong because the atmosphere was thinner there so things mm-hmm. entered the atmosphere easier.
2: Hmm. <laughs> Interesting.
0: That's but on the other hand... That's... I was just going to say, I've heard that theory that that's how, like, why you are more susceptible to getting sick when it rains, that the rain is actually bringing, you know, uh, microbes down from the atmosphere. Is that, have you guys heard that? Mm. I've, I, yeah, I
4: can't I comprehend right Like, the air is, it's bad, you know, it's bad air that brings the, you know,
1: the infectious diseases. Mm. Yeah. But on the other yeah. hand, there are scores of people who do not get sick when yeah. there's lots of people around them who are sick
2: <clears throat> yeah yeah so i used to work in a health it's food
1: store it is not just and, an infectious agent that is causing the sickness i think the host has a lot
3: absolutely yeah no i mean the terrain like your terrain yeah. like how how healthy you are how good your immune system is is definitely part of it cuz i used to work in a health food store and i'd have people coming in that were sick all the time and you know i was working around these people all the time i was touching the same surfaces they were like but I, I rarely got sick, you know, because I was looking after myself. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the, the, there's definitely a combination of factors But there.
4: that's only from the physical point of view, so to speak. Mm. I, I once read uh, Alexander Lowen's book, um, and uh, he was he was a psychiatrist. And he mm. made the observation back in the 1920s or 30s or later mm. um, that schizophrenic, Patients, people never had the food, and when they did, uh, yeah. it was a sign of recovery. Yeah, of mental recovery. You know, mental disease recovery.
3: That's a homeopathic um, uh, really? premise as well. I yeah,
4: fascinated because I, I retrospectively,
3: yeah, he's right. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, because apparently in homeopathy, the w- one thing that they say is that the the worst disease is what will manifest, and there might be other things in there, mm-hmm. and if you kind of take care of the worst one, then that can allow an outlet for these other ones that are there but um, are kind of covered up by the worst one so it's kind of like only one will present at a time so
1: I've read something similar like people who have very serious chronic diseases like say MS or ALS or something like that they don't get the flu they have much bigger Mm -hmm. things to deal with like my cousin has MS he never gets the flu but he's dying Hmm. from MS that's for sure yeah (laughs) But then you push the vaccine specifically to that population. Yeah,
3: because they're weaker.
1: Because they're weaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have to account for, I think there was a study that was out. um, People who get the flu shot for successive seasons are more susceptible to catching the flu. Yeah. Yeah. Because the flu shot
2: itself
1: lowers your immunity.
3: Yeah. And they're they're less able to, they also say that the more times you've gotten the flu shot, the less likely you'll be able to fight off like a really, like a pandemic flu, like a really bad one. Like those ones, yeah, would, those, the people sense. who are getting the regular flu shots will will kind of get decimated by those.
0: It seems to me by like about 50-50, maybe, that's a super rough guess, but uh, of people who get sick when they get the shot, because I also hear a lot of people during the season are like, I got the shot and I'm fine. You know, mm-hmm. but it's so like, uh, uh, unique to, you know, to your genetic makeup, to what you're eating at the time, uh, all sorts of things. Right. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So maybe they're fine because they didn't got the full manifestation of the flu, but they start coming down with a chronic disease or like a mild cold that never goes away.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And, you know, mm-hmm. Sure. It gets by you know?
2: Yeah.
5: You've got, you've got something called, um, immunoglobulin A. Okay. So this is what basically, um, lines the mucosal membranes, the mucous membranes. So it's in the gut. It's in the lungs. Um, I think it's even secreted by the skin. So it's like the body's first line of defense. And ordinarily in a, in a natural environment, like any pathogen that you would come across, it would first meet, secrete, it, it would meet this immunoglobulin. Um, but when you inject a vaccine into the directly into the bloodstream, you're completely bypassing the immunoglobulin A. Um, and so it's like, I mean, you're taking this organism, which would never have a way of getting into the body otherwise. And you're completely bypassing every natural defense against it. And then mm-hmm. that. That organism, if it's live, like a live virus, because there's so much there's so much research which is implicating like chronic stealth bacterial viral infections to chronic diseases. Um, mm-hmm. It's like when you inject that thing directly into the bloodstream, that can get anywhere. You know what I mean? And I mean, there's some research which would say that, say, if you injected a bacteria into the bloodstream, that bacteria could set up shop in one of your um in one of your joints or something you know like gabby i'm sure you you know much more about this um you know like rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. when they take a biopsy of the um of the joint it hasn't been shown Mm -hmm. that there is there's like chronic biofilms of bacteria and things yeah in some cases yeah
4: yeah uh that one yeah it's like uh, that even there was this the creation of a protocol which involved uh anti parasiticals and antibiotics, and a lot of people actually went into remission from the <laughs> from the room of the way on you know from taking antibiotics wow. this is crazy yeah. and unfortunately the, for this year, the update on the vaccine is that it has to be intramuscular like very deep in the muscle. Mm and the elderly are going to get a double whammy, higher Mm. dose, because they published some studies and I downloaded one just to see, apparently, yeah, it was more effective if they doubled the dose. And I looked at the first author, and by curiosity, I I searched for his disclosures. Mm. And guess what?
2: He works for Sena Paseur,
3: the guys that made the flu vaccine. <laughs>
2: like,
3: <you know. laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wouldn't what's the what's the deal with the elderly? I mean, I get that they you know ostensibly, if you believe kind of like the party line, they would need more vaccine because they're more susceptible, right? But doesn't that also, I mean, immunologists don't deny that people get sick from the vaccine, or do they? Like, because it obviously happens. They well, say they that say that, that
1: that's happen? that's a rare side effect. Ah, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Because <clears throat> I'm wondering, I, mean, I guess you know, in their minds, like there would have to be an acceptable, you know, loss gain ratio between how many elderly people could get sick from it and how much more susceptible they would be to that.
3: No, but, I don't think they care. Yeah. No, honestly, are, I don't there think there are
1: even any studies showing that the flu vaccine benefits anyone.
2: Yeah,
3: exactly. Not
1: old people not children especially not pregnant yeah. women i mean it's the They're just around.
4: blindly like markers such as antigens and creation of antibodies. bodies but that doesn't necessarily reflect
2: mm-hmm. you know
4: um, being protected
3: and i wonder what the logic is for doing a double whammy too like why would would, inter- would you need to inter- if, it, if the okay so theoretically an older person's immune system is not really um at the same level that a younger person's is so introducing more of the attenuated virus or live virus would that de- therefore
2: trigger
3: a trigger study. trigger more of a response or it's more likely to trigger a response like what's the, what's the
4: argument actually like they the elderly have weakened immune systems or just plainly old and that's it hmm. So the double whammy should trigger a stronger reaction over creation of antibodies that doesn't reflect on anything. It happened in the study, but is it really a good thing or maybe it's a bad
1: thing? Yeah, Yeah, they're called poor responders. Their antibodies don't respond strongly (laughs) enough to get in a shot, so they have to give them some more.
0: It's their fault. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's such a vitriolic thing, the um, I guess... You know, we've talked about the vaccine debate before, kind of ad nauseum, but I just find it so interesting every time it comes around because for people who are, you know, generally pro-vaccine, I don't like to do the black, you know, there's like one camp here and one camp there, but there does seem to be <clears throat> kind of pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine. And in the, in the minds of the pro-vaccine people, if you talk about vaccines being harmful, you're like holding a gun up to everybody in the community. Yeah. You know, they yeah. think that you are threatening the community. Mm-hmm. And that's, I yeah. think, why it becomes such a thing. And you become an immediate dirtbag yeah. In, in, yeah. in those conversations, you know, when you bring it up. Like,
3: whereas the other kids, side, you know, the other side, like, doesn't um, come across that way at all. Like, anybody who is not yeah. into vaccines is generally like, I don't give a shit what you do. I don't want yeah. your vaccines. And it's like, right. let's, let's, you know, our children can still play together. It's cool. But, um, you know, let's, let, you know, let's, it's just one thing we happen to disagree on. Whereas the other side is so vehement and actually, like, thinks that you're Satan for not kind of towing this party line. It's kind of crazy. Well, but, and it's whole...
5: probably No, go ahead, Elliot, please. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, we've said this so many times on this show before, <laughs> but the whole <laughs> argument is based on the idea of herd immunity, but the yeah. logic is the logic is completely flawed because if everyone if the vaccines actually worked and everyone who had the vaccine was protected against the flu then why would it matter if they were exposed yeah. to the flu why would it matter yeah. if they were to play with a kid who did have the flu because if the vaccine yeah. worked then surely it means that they wouldn't get the flu so <laughs> exactly they, by saying that Nothing they yeah, I mean, they go against the whole argument. It's like they're admitting yeah. that the flu vaccine just doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it doesn't have, you
0: guys, have you guys seen this uh, this map that's getting circulated around Facebook? It's, a, it's like a heat map, a kind of a world map with a bunch of spots on it, and it says this is the actual harm that anti-vaxxers have done. So it's allegedly <laughs> like, a, <clears throat> like a heat map of how many people have gotten sick from non-vaccinated people.
2: How
3: can they possibly know that? How could they know that?
0: Yeah. 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 How is it it
3: possible that they would know that? That's ridiculous. And And if the vaccine worked, then the map would look different, wouldn't it?
1: Mm. Right. Well, speaking of ridiculousness and the flu shots, there's all these hospitals now that require all their staff, nurses and all that to be vaccinated against the flu. And if they're not, (laughs) the place where I work (laughs) does this too, um, they have to wear a mask While they're dealing yeah,
5: yeah. So do you, so you have do to we wear
1: protectors? a mask? <laughs> no, I found a way around it Which I won't get into But there, <laughs> there is One lady I've noticed the last couple of years She's worn a mask I never asked her like why she didn't get the flu shot Because I don't care It's all a bunch of baloney anyway But it's just so ridiculous Like <laughs> Is yeah. all based on faulty theory of herd immunity, faulty theory that vaccines actually work, faulty theory that vaccines are actually safe. I mean...
3: Well, it's not only that, though. It's like that, that whole situation. Like, let's be perfectly honest here. The, a, a mask is not going to stop the flu. There's mm. no way. Like, it's just... So, really, all it is yeah, is just this, dumb. like, scarlet letter that you have to wear... Yes. That states to everybody, I refuse to get the flu shot. And it's kind of like another means of, like, peer pressuring people. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you good... don't get the flu shot, then you have to wear this symbol on you that, that shows everybody that you are a nonconformist.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Nonconformitarian.
0: If, if, <laughs> if they were legit about that, it would be like an actual fitted mask with, like, a HEPA filter on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a gas mask.
3: You'd have to wear yeah. a gas mask.
0: Right, or one of those 3M things with the little you know, things on the side. Yeah. yeah
1: exactly.
0: But yeah, the little, the little sheet, you know, the little mask that you see like people in, in
1: Yeah. With wearing. these big gigantic gaps in it is not even yeah. down over their <clears throat> nose or anything. Yes. Thanks. Right. You're yeah. really protecting everybody <laughs> and yourself by wearing yeah. a piece of paper <laughs> over your face.
0: <laughs> well, I, I hate to say at least in this case, but at least they're not firing people. I mean, or are they, are they firing people for not getting vaccinated if you work? At a
1: hospital. Well, I've read a few cases where they have fired some people, but then there's a group of nurses who got together and said they're going to sue.
0: Mm. Can't
1: make us do this.
0: Mm. Yeah, I imagine most nurses are unionized, hey.
1: No, not really.
0: Oh, oh okay. Mm. I'm being wrong about that.
5: I, I know that, um, that when my mom actually went for an interview, um, she's a mental health nurse. She went for an interview, and, um, and to get the job, she had to. Um, get a couple of vaccines mm-hmm. um, or else she wouldn't get the job. So I don't know whether they actually fire people who are already employed, but they are coming out and, well, in the UK at least anyway, in some hospitals and places like that, they are actually coming out and saying, well, if you don't get this, then we're not going to give you the job. Um, mm-hmm. So they are That's kind happening. of segregating you in that way. And I think, True. Doug, mm-hmm. I think that, that was a really good point about what you said, um, because... Mm-hmm. By, by putting that mask on people, you know, they're essentially isolating them, you know, they're segregating them from everyone else and they're essentially paying yeah. you with the non-authoritarian, um, thing. And I, I guess, I guess for, for the majority of pro-vaxxers who do sort of see, see you as Satan by not getting a yeah. vaccine um yeah. then that could that could be quite quite troublesome actually for an employee absolutely who's you know who has to wear this this label um and then mm-hmm. has to deal with the consequences of that socially and psychologically and everything and that's overall yeah. I, you know it's, it's pretty harsh
1: yeah that's it's why oppression. i chose a different route <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'm very <laughs> curious
3: about that actually.
1: We'll oh, uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, okay, t- sure. the
0: Tiffany are, are not the views and opinions of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Do your well,
4: own I wanted to
1: it. make your own decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: I wanted to add that okay, there was a, a study published in this year in 2017. Apparently, the vaccine is tremendously unpopular among healthcare providers
2: mm-hmm.
4: It's the among the highest failures uh, rate of failure, you know, compliance. Mm. And they were wondering, well, there are several factors going on there: side effects, and that it's not very effective anyway. So why bother, etc. So they're trying to change the vaccine to make it more popular, more
2: more you know, hip. It's
3: a cool vaccine vaccine. This ain't your daddy's vaccine
4: (laughs) And one of the solutions They are trying to bring on the table Is that to make a patch needle Mm. Uh, Like the
1: ones That acupuncturists are using lately Uh, Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah Yeah.
4: Well
1: not only are flu shots Not popular with healthcare professionals I don't think they're very popular with People in general Because it's part of my job to offer people the flu shot even though we don't technically give them them like a coupon to get one and the vast majority say no thanks (laughs) i don't want one some will come right out and say uh no uh, i got the flu (laughs) shot and i got the flu or some people will say i don't trust those things i don't even know what's in them i'm never getting a flu shot and i'm just smiling on the inside
2: (laughs) exactly (laughs)
0: I could see that, like, if, if I picture myself as not knowing anything about, you know, the dangers of vaccines, it just sounds like a pain. And, and a needle, and I'm like, nah, I'd, I'd rather not. You know, on the other hand, if, like, Ebola was in town, you, you might be like, yeah, I'll get a vaccine. As, you know, as kind of the average citizen. But,
1: yeah, yeah if vaccines like were so great, they wouldn't have to keep trying to sex them up all the time and come up with new yeah. ways to market them to people. People would be lining up. <laughs>
0: Yes. It's a sexy vaccine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm curious. Like, so, uh, uh, Gabby, you had said they made this. This one company made like 160 million, you know, doses of the vaccine. Yeah, 165.
2: I have they have
0: a. No, I don't know this, but they probably have a contract with the government where they get, you know, they sell that whole stock,
2: mm-hmm. and then it's
0: up to the mm-hmm. government to distribute it. I uh, don't know if that's the case. So whenever chatters, please correct me if I'm wrong about that. I think that but, is you know, the case in the some cases. financial interest is is obvious. It's it so clear, uh, just like you know all the other pharmaceuticals. But in this case, it really is like <clears throat> you make as many as, as you want of your product. Uh, you pitch it to the government. They buy the whole thing, and then they do what they want with it. So you just made, what, I don't know, well, yeah. two or three well, billion dollars. Yeah.
3: Well, I mean, the government is totally in the pocket of big pharma anyway, because look at what happened when they big pharma, you know, threatened to not make vaccines anymore, because they said, no, we're liable if there's any damage. And, you know, we're not making that much money off it anyway. So we're not going to make them anymore. Well, then the government like rolls over and says, well, we'll do this thing called a vaccine court where if there's any damages, uh, and we have to pay out the taxpayer will pay for it all. So you the the pharmaceutical company will be held liable for anything and they're like oh okay well we'll yeah. keep on making vaccines then like it just it just it's so obvious who's in charge there you know
0: well doug the executives need the new bugatti and you know an extra yeah you're right Key
5: West. yeah
3: yeah <laughs> i'm just being
5: selfish I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a similar case in the uk as well because we have the national health service which is funded by the taxpayer so um someone could make the argument like okay so gps don't Benefit in any way um, from from vaccinations because the the person is not paying they they're, they're, they're given out for free on the national health service but um, but I mean it's pretty much given that a lot of the people on the executive board of the NHS are in the back pockets of the pharmaceutical companies and so you know there's all sorts of dodgy deals that probably go on and I think a lot of it's already been documented um, and they just make up things like okay yeah so you know. Um, we're going to provide the NHS with this many vaccines tax, but the taxpayer is going to pay for this. And then you need to basically market that. Um, and you know, backhand deals are done and stuff and it's all very sort of a, you know, shady business. Uh, And unfortunately I think it's all too common. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you look at, I mean, just a quick search for pharmaceutical settlements, now, this is not specifically in regards to vaccines but uh, 2013 Johnson & Johnson 2.2 2 billion 2012 mm-hmm. Abbott Labs 1.5 billion I mean That's these are the numbers the that you're looking at yeah right I think the highest Practice
2: is line,
4: it's like three point something I think.
0: yeah so you don't and those don't include, in
3: they don't include I that. was just gonna say those don't include the vaccines because there's now right. the
0: vaccine form, right? yeah, so,
3: before yeah
4: antidepressants and, yeah, you know, yeah.
0: Well, I guess what I'm saying, like this, that that money's not going to patients. If, if patients were getting actual mm. legitimate settlements from this stuff, then I think maybe I'm being naive, but I think we would hear about it from the patients themselves. They'd be like, mm. you know, holy shit, I got $10 million. So, yeah, yeah, that would be an encouragement for people to start speaking up. <clears throat> so I got to feel like with yeah. that amount of money, when you're talking multiple billions of dollars, uh, you know, people are getting new new condos and buying private islands and stuff it just you know is it filtered through the government or through the corporations or you know through offshore interests and all that i mean yeah i'm not trying to sound like i know what i'm talking about i just feel like you know (laughs) it's it's shady when there's that much involved
3: yeah Yeah. Yeah. no i think it's true and it's very very doubtful that the 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 person who was actually injured by a vaccine or had a child who was injured by a vaccine Is seeing much of anything from it really like it's 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 highly doubtful. i mean i'm sure there are some cases where you know they actually go through the whole process of going to this vaccine court and arguing their case and they actually win and and then yeah so you know maybe that's that's for people who even bother right like i mean so often it's like it's like you know a lawyer will take a look at the case and be like well there's no proof that it was caused by the vaccine like it could be could have been anything, right? Like, I mean, that's what they argue most of the time. Like, you read all these testimonials from people where it's like, yeah, my my child got the vaccine and then, um, you know, three days later they completely went into a vegetative state or something along those lines. And it's like, you know, what do the doctors say to them? Well, we, you know, it definitely wasn't from the vaccine. Like, and it's like, you, you know, you can't prove necessarily that it was. I mean, maybe in some instances you might be able to, but I think in most cases it's kind of like there's no proof there. So and it's just even, it's,
1: it's, even among the ones ahead. who actually went to court and did get a settlement, how many of those people would give all the money back if they could get their loved one back to full functioning yeah the loved one yeah. back from the dead? Yeah mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: yeah I mean can yeah. You, anybody is if you've experienced like chronic pain or any kind of uh, you know debilitating d- disease which that level I have not experienced, but the moment you feel better, you realize that there's no price on that. There's mm-hmm. no price on yeah. quality of life. Uh,
2: Absolutely. So
0: you can be a multimillionaire yeah. and, and be in pain every day and just have a, a crappy life.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Elliot.
5: Sorry, go ahead. No, I was nice. just going to say I think this is all too common. Um, I, mm-hmm. You know, I work in a special needs school, so um, a lot of the kids that I work with, um, are severely autistic or have developmental delay and all of these other kind of things. And there's one parent that actually came out and spoke to one of my colleagues and said, you know, um, their their child was, was perfectly normal until the first set of vaccines that they had. And then all of a sudden they went nonverbal, um, mm-hmm. lost coordination, lost uh, eye contact. And then it's gone downhill from there. Um, and my colleague says that she didn't necessarily – um, listen to, to this parent but then when we were having com- a conversation about vaccines that's when she brought it up to me and she was like wow that's actually really interesting because that's what this parent said to me and apparently it's quite mm. a common thing at my school as well so a lot of the parents actually tend to say the same thing um, but the, the mm. link isn't made by the doctor um, and then they just pass it off as a, as a coincidence
3: yeah and how many coincidences do they witness And still call them a coincidence.
1: Yeah, there's one article we read where there were scores of pregnant women who were vaccinated with the flu shot. And what up to three days later or a week later, they had miscarriages. I mean, loads and loads Mm -hmm. of women all saying the same thing. And their doctors all said that. No, it wasn't the vaccine.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah, you can still see the... Uh, okay, the, these ears announced announcements of the vaccine. I read them, you know, and said, "Okay, vaccines in pregnancy that are no adverse. but you know, it's it's safe. You know, that are more information in the second, third trimester,
1: but it should be safe." And well,
2: then a lot of
4: them say that.
1: People, yes. A lot of the inserts say that the vaccine wasn't even tested for safety in pregnant women. Exactly. Yeah, but they go ahead and recommend it anyway.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They say that it's safe despite the fact that there has been absolutely no study showing that it is safe.
4: On the country, there's a kind of lot of data, outweigh. but it it is anecdotal, but you hear a lot of, you know, women that, you know, oh, no, I heard a story of this woman of that town, and she ended up in intensive care unit after the vaccine, and she lost her child. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. story after another, you know, I can't. how can they manage to hide all this stuff?
3: Yeah. Well, I think one way that they hide it is that apparently, th- so there was a study that was put out... Um, uh, in the journal Vaccine, and it actually is talking about how if um, a woman got the vaccine two years running, um, then they were you know had like a sevenfold increase in the likelihood that they would miscarry. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like it's one of those things where it's like you know you can't necessarily tie it directly to I got the flu shot and then I had a miscarriage. It's like no, it's only people who had one kind of two years running, and they were looking specifically at. 2010 and 11 and 2011 12, and it's the, and those um, the the people in that situation um, were more likely to miscarry, and apparently it happened before too in the 2009 2010 um, year as well, so.
5: But they, oh, re- reading that article about that particular study really made my blood boil because mm-hmm. I think it's it's the same article. Um, the it, it was published by Green Med Info, and um, mm-hmm. and they're talking about uh, one of the journalists for the Washington Post, and mm. this particular journalist basically, <laughs> I mean, it's so disingenuous. They they wrote they, they basically had to report on the findings because, you know, pretty significant findings. But the uh, <laughs> the way that she wrote the article, I mean, she wrote the title of the article. She said um, she says researchers find a hint of a link between flu vaccine and miscarriage. I mean, yeah. how hint? disingenuous, you know, a hint, yeah. an eight, eight, eightfold increase. I mean, seriously, yeah. how can this woman sleep at night? i mean yeah. she, where is a conscience does she have a conscience probably not because yeah. i mean like seriously you, you say that there's a hint when that's a massively significant increase i mean how yeah. can you say something like that you know i mean where's your social responsibility yeah. where's the responsibility for all of the women who read the washington post i mean it's yeah. absolutely disgusting how someone can get away with that it's criminal you know? and
3: just so our, our listeners know that well, that reporter's name is Lena Sun and she writes for the Washington Post and apparently they have actually since changed the title of the article um, although, like, and so it doesn't say a hint anymore although throughout the article it's still the same article and they do use that word hint but um, after, after this criticism came out on Green Med Info they changed it
0: yeah I would think that's a pretty big journalistic transgression yeah, yeah. That's it's definitely a, <clears throat> if not an outright lie, it's a it's a miscommunication at the very least. About you know, my thought when you were saying that was it, obviously they uh, they <clears throat> didn't lend any credence to the actual data. But uh, even the word hint is like, wouldn't pregnant mothers want to know if there was a, a hint of a, a you know chance of difficulty with their pregnancy? I feel like you know they look out for every possible threat. To their pregnancy mm-hmm. when, when a woman is going through a pregnancy. And that, you mm-hmm. know, saying something as a hint is implying that, no, nah, this is not that big of a deal when, you know. So even despite the lie, I feel like it's still a huge gap. And then,
4: and then they don't, they recommend, you know, that they abstain from certain supplements and herbs yeah. because they're pregnant and, you know, and we don't know the information about these stuff, you know.
1: But yeah. the vaccine, it's fine, right? Yeah, so if you're pregnant because of the mercury, yet we're going to inject you with a vaccine that contains mercury directly into your bloodstream.
0: Yeah, exactly. well, in the nutritional, I mean, uh, th- this is not my area, but i uh, listening to, I've mentioned it before, uh, Dr. Tent from uh, downstate Michigan. Mm. He's a natural practitioner, chiropractor. He does a lot of lecturing, and his sort of stuff is on YouTube. So if you look up Dr. Tent, I think he's got some pretty good material, but he states in kind of a simplistic way to help get it across to people that a human body, a human baby needs essentially 90 things to grow, uh, you know, in in the womb, Um, the combination of minerals, uh, supplements, vitamins, and uh, that fertility doctors uh, tell women that they need about nine or 10 things. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So they're they're in general giving them a, you know a tenth of the nutrients that they actually need to grow a successful pregnancy. And he said, with the stuff that a fertility doctor recommends to a human woman, you could grow a worm.
2: <laughs> oh <my laughs> God, that's
0: yeah. horrible. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's the, almost the problem. Like, yeah. Sorry, i right, cut please. you off,
5: Jonathan. Please. No, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say the problem with this, with like recommendations for pregnancy, um, because, you know, I study nutrition. And so when I go on to practice in the future, it's getting around these sort of uh, legislation is kind of like a minefield. There's a lot of things that you that you legally cannot recommend to pregnant women, but I think a lot of the time the reason that is is because a lot of herbs and um, vitamins and stuff they're they're not studied. Um, There's no there's been no clinical research done on them because they probably because they can't be profited from. Yeah, so big Mm -hmm. pharma hasn't done massive you know research clinical trials. So there's no research to to suggest that one it would be beneficial or two it would be detrimental so it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you can't prescribe it anyway um, but i would tend to think that a lot of the time a lot of these things that they say are not to be used in pregnancy i would imagine that some of them are probably very benign it's just big pharma mm-hmm. hasn't sort of decided that they can make a lot of money from that and therefore there's no research for that but it's yeah, so exactly. hypocritical in that a lot of the time what is recommended to be safe for pregnancy for instance folic acid i mean mm-hmm. if any of you know anything about ben lynch's work who does a lot on genetic um, polymorphisms specifically mthfr it's a genetic sort of mutation um that when they give folic acid to pregnant women uh, i mean that can actually cause more harm than it can good but that's recommended by every doctor uh, so it's it's kind of you know it's paradoxical and it's hypocritical in many ways. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, do we want to get into there? what's actually in the flu shot? Sure.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Besides germs from God and knows who.
2: And,
1: <laughs> and unicorns. Unicorns. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Fairy Sorry. dust.
1: It's a a flu virus, and I'm using virus using air quotes here because who knows what that stuff is. I guess they get a sample from somebody who had the flu, again, in air quotes, and they get a virus and they weaken it. I don't know exactly how they weaken it. Sometimes they have a weakened strain of flu virus. Sometimes they have a live strain, and they combine it with uh, preservatives, antibiotics, mercury, formaldehyde, polysorbate 80 detergents and antifreezes and they shoot it up into you. I mean, it sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: I wonder if th- there's a trick here. Okay, I downloaded the PDF from the official documents with the ingredients of the vaccine for these years. Vaccine, at least here mm-hmm. in, in Europe. And yes, there is the polysorbate you know, and the formaldeed and their mm-hmm. embryonic eggs or something. And uh, the anti well the full antigens themselves and then some words that read like sodium I don't know, something <laughs> Potassium something and like four of those and that's it
2: mm.
4: Now I have to get them um, get a sample a real sample and check the ingredients inside to see if there's if there's more, you know mm. because um, According to this it doesn't have mercury nor aluminum But I know that most of them do, Mm -hmm. at least aluminum. It's an ingredient that is pretty much in the fault. Mm -hmm. So
1: we'll
4: find
1: out. Some of these flu vaccines have squalene in it, but squalene occurs naturally in the body, in the brain, in the uh, nervous system. Mm -hmm. But they put squalene in these vaccines, I guess, to increase the antibody response or whatever faulty reasoning they come up with it. But squalene can actually help, toxins move past the blood brain barrier easily mm. and it makes your body attack its own naturally occurring squalene
2: yeah
5: yeah yeah so because squalene it's... is like a i was just gonna say it's it's like a really highly unsaturated fat so mm-hmm. it's it's founded like the neuron the the myelin sheath that surrounds the neurons it's kind of similar to omega-3 fats but it's not an omega-3 Um, But it's highly unstable, I just wanted to say that. It's more
1: explosive, in a sense. Yeah, Yeah, so Mm. they grow this flu virus in chicken eggs. (laughs) And then they (laughs) centrifuge the virus out and combine it with all the other crap. But it still has, you know, chicken proteins in it. But now, because that is such a long and drawn-out process, they want to start growing it in other mediums. And we do have Mm. a clip. And this is a few years old, but it's uh, featuring Sherry Tinpenny, Dr. Sherry Tinpenny. She's uh, famous in the uh, anti-vaccine community for her criticisms, but it's a little less than four minutes now. We can play it.
3: Doctor, I wish I could have been around you a couple years ago when H1N1 uh, was coming out. That got to the point where – We would watch the local news and find out where we could finally get our shot. There were no shots available here. Let's wait next week. You'd go at the local college, and people would line up for hours on end to get these shots. No doubt something else is going to pop up in the next couple of years that is going to lead to the same thing. But that, you know, is, that was going to be a pandemic and nothing ever really came about, about oh, of all Oh,
6: gosh. You know, we had SARS. We had bird flu. Then we had a, another round of swine flu. Mm-hmm. We had a bunny flu next. I mean, who knows? And so it's, it's going to keep recycling. But what those two big pushes were for in 2005, the bird flu and then swine flu again, was the seven point. Two billion dollars that, that George Bush gave to Novartis to develop their new flu shot factories, and then when swine flu came along, it was the, the rest of the money that the government gave them to build new flu shot factories. That's all it was, really. At the end of the day, when you pull back the <coughs> curtain and see what's back there, was because. How flu shots are manufactured are by in eggs. It's a very mm-hmm. labor-intensive, time-intensive, expensive process that they take an egg and they, they literally pick a little top off the shell and they inject some viruses in there, and then the virus grows in the egg for 11 days. They centrifuge off the, the virus and uh, supposedly separate the virus from the egg, which doesn't all get separated, and then they get viruses that come out of the egg, and that ends up in the flu shot, and that's how flu shots are made. Very expensive, time-labor-intensive Well, now they're going to a new type of technology called a cell line technology. And they're using dog kidney cells. They're using caterpillar egg cells. And what they do with that is there's a big vat of these cells. And they inject the viruses in there. And and so then they can harvest flu vaccine every six to eight weeks. With the egg process, you had one flu shot season per year because it was very time and expensive uh, technology. Well, in order to get funding to create their new cell line technology factories, they had to create a pandemic so the government would fund it, which they did all over the world. There's a new one, it's Novartis's new flu shot vaccine factory should be coming online in about a year in North Carolina. Lots lots of new jobs down there to create flu shots and in the flu shot factory, and it's going to be made from dog kidney cells, so now you're going to be getting dog DNA injected in you. There's another technology that uses cells from aborted retinas, uh, from retinas of aborted fetal tissue. That's being coming online for flu shots. And they're also using something called a a baclofen, which is made from insect cells. So now you'll be getting insect cell DNA injected into you. These things are filthy. And why would you ever want that into your system? To keep you from getting the flu? My goodness, Mm -hmm. flu's come and go for almost everybody. And Mm And even people that have chronic diseases and that they're more concerned about, you know, we don't want people with heart disease, high blood pressure, cancer, whatever, getting the flu. Were flu shots ever really tested on those people? The answer is no. When they come out with a new flu shot or any new vaccine, they test it on completely healthy people Let's say there's a new uh, flu shot coming out for babies, completely healthy babies that have no underlying health conditions. There are no medications. They're completely healthy. We test to see what the side effects look like. There aren't very many. Oh, now it's approved. Who gets those shots? The kids with asthma, allergies, seizure disorders, cancer, leukemia. That's a new population for which those vaccines have never been tested. And the same thing happens in adults.
5: Mm. I think that's a really, really pertinent point is that, you you know, like you you just can't make the comparison between healthy individuals and sick individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, kids with immunocompromisation whereby they've got severe allergies, they've got asthma, they've got, you know, maybe they were born low birth weight, they were born via cesarean section, they've probably got zero gut bacteria. And then what you're doing is you're essentially... Uh, you can't generalize those results that was a really really like fascinating point that she just made
1: mhm yeah. yeah hmm <clears throat> and that's like... why they don't do studies on people who are vaccinated versus the unvaccinated i think there was yeah. one mm-hmm. that came out and then they pulled it but it did and, you know kids who are not vac- vaccinated are healthier than kids who are yeah yeah,
3: life allergies. Yeah. yeah. I think it was a Japanese study or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Which is the only way it got by because it wasn't American.
0: Do you, do you guys think that this is there's any like light at the end of the tunnel here? With, or I mean in terms of awareness. Because there mm-hmm. is a, a movement going on to spread awareness about it. And so I I hate to just assume that that's going to get driven into the ground. I wonder if it'll just be kind of a constant back-and-forth struggle.
5: I think it might get worse before it gets better, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think um, what you're probably looking at down the pipe somewhere is uh, mandatory vaccinations, um, particularly in the U.S. And I think um, at that point, you know, all these people who are, you know, spreading awareness suddenly are going to be kind of forced into a corner Mm. and you never see anything good happen when people are put into that kind of position
0: right yeah well and i mean whenever you whenever you make a law like that forces the inevitable outcome Mm -hmm. you know because somebody somebody says no they say okay pay a fine and they say no so okay uh you know we'll we'll levy your stuff no all right well we're going to send the cops to your house it always Mm -hmm. goes that way not for everybody of course but in some percentage of cases so that's the thing that always gets me when they pass a new law like this, that kind of violates people's free will is the inevitable implication is that we, you know, it's a, it's a threat of violence for not, mm-hmm. for not complying.
5: I know. It's yes. a I think, writer, but
0: it, <clears throat> what were you going to say?
5: I was, I was just going to say, um, I think the most tragic aspect of all of this and the sort of picture this, that this is painting is, is that it's going to be enforced onto children, and I think that's yeah. the worst part of it because like the child's immune system is, is so susceptible to these kind of toxins. And I, unfortunately I think for some of the kids or maybe even the majority of kids who have gotten brain damage or severe autism or something like that from vaccines, there's probably no way that they can fully recover from that if it's bad enough. Um, I think for the adults, Uh, like we're in a slightly better position because our immune systems are somewhat developed and that we can take sort of precautions if it were to come to the point where we needed to get vaccines we could probably do a lot to detoxify this stuff we could take those Mm -hmm. precautionary measures like you know glutathione nac vitamin c all of these different things and i'm sure there's lots um but with a child with mandatory vaccines I mean I, I just don't even know because it's kind of it's kind of like you're playing Russian roulette when a child gets a vaccine because even though they're mm-hmm. not necessarily um, even though you can't tell that they're sick uh, you can't tell whether they've got good genetics you don't know whether their system is uh, sort of healthy enough to be able to protect itself against those toxins so it's kind of just like you're, you're playing chat I guess you it's kind of like someone said before you you're flipping a coin you know and and this is the problem and i think this is the thing that i find most upsetting about this whole idea is that this is going to be enforced onto kids and there's nothing people can really do about that because they can because because quite frankly i think that the the authorities are in a better position to um to enforce it onto children because things like schooling you know healthcare, all of these things that children you know, sort of have to go through, you know, they, they can have those taken away from them. When you're an adult, you can say, well, no, I don't want to do this job. No, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do that. And you have some sort of autonomy. But a child, I mean, what, you'd have to take a child out of school. And mm-hmm. some people can't do that, you know? Well, they're already no, doing no, that no, in a way,
4: even they, A couple they, of fathers they... uh, got jailed after refusing to vaccinate their children. mm
1: well, in Australia, they already have the no jab, no pay. You won't get certain social benefits if your child is vaccinated. Yeah, that's right. And all over the U.S., they're like, if your child is not up on his vaccines, then he cannot enroll for the school year. So it's not mm-hmm. strictly mandatory in a legal sense, but it's highly coerced and you do lose out on benefits. Not that I would ever say the school is a benefit, but... <laughs> Your life is inconvenience and you mm-hmm. have to pull your kid out of school or, or this or that. But, um, yeah, I mean, in a way, it is mandatory already, but it will become mandatory by law. Yeah. I think
3: mm-hmm. they're probably going to have like guns that shoot vaccine bullets <laughs> at people and they'll just well, be able well, to vaccinate people from a distance.
1: Vaccinating mosquitoes.
3: Because mosquitoes, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So just, <laughs> just you can get. passively, well, it's not really passive, I guess, but just, you know, release the mosquitoes and then just sit back while the entire population gets vaccinated.
4: <laughs> probably how they're going to introduce the chips, you know, injected subcutaneous chips. They're just going to shoot it at people. Yeah,
3: plate. probably. Yeah. <laughs> There's all your bank account information.
0: They're <laughs> just... <laughs> Just be like the uh, like the DDT days. And they'll roll through town with a fog truck.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and oh. kids go running through the clouds and stuff. Hey. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: So we're not particularly optimistic. No. No. Yeah. yeah I guess that <laughs> answers that
3: question, doesn't it? Are we optimistic? I Why no? No, we're not.
1: <laughs> Are we ever optimistic on this show? No. Yeah, I
5: know. we <laughs> I mean, it comes to a point where like i mean it's it's <laughs> where the best possible outcome would be for complete destruction of society <laughs> you know what i mean a complete collapse of every institution and, and everything. that's already
1: happening that's really it? the only way that it can stop People
2: yeah. just get a
1: bug up their butts about certain things and they will not stop until everybody conforms to their wishes and the only way yeah. that it will end is if everything ends. <laughs> oh.
2: yeah. it reminds okay. me that
0: uh, no, it didn't. there was a uh, South Park with a uh, character, Funnybot. There was a robot that came up with with jokes, right? And the uh, the ultimate joke was to kill all of humanity and say, "Oops." <laughs> and that <clears throat> they were like, oh, "No, that robot, would be yeah. funny." That's what that's what the robot came up with.
5: It's go in that 20. way. Yeah. Yeah. Some levity.
0: It is. I mean, it's a dark picture, but you got to whistle past the graveyard a little bit, otherwise, it would drive you nuts. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. just to take, uh, try to retain some, uh, some humor and some joy in life, and take care of your own health. You know, and of course, be serious when you when you have to. Uh, the, you mm-hmm. know, it requires that. You got to, you got to buckle down and be stern sometimes. But if you. I you got to retain some joy in life and it's, it's harder getting harder and and harder to do. Right. I mean, if you really look at the world objectively, then it's harder. Sorry, Gabby.
4: The real message is uh, you have to do your own research. You know, people got to learn to do it and they don't.
3: Yeah. And look, Tiffany found her way around the mask thing So maybe even There's hope for if mandatory Vaccination does come in that maybe there's a Loophole or two you could kind of exploit
2: mm.
0: uh, Alright Well,
1: Oh, go ahead Do we want to talk about what to do if you actually Do come down with the flu in quotation marks?
0: Yeah Or Take how to as avoid much it vitamin C As you can until you poop your pants <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. my advice. <laughs> what what
5: you what you can do is um not if you've like there's echinacea so this is this is actually something that in the research has been shown to be quite useful it it can only sort of be used um when you feel like you're starting to come down with the flu so according to sort of traditional herbal medicine it's not something that you would use when you are currently sort of in the 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 flu when you've already got it but it's something when you start to feel down when you feel that you you know when you get that feeling you know when you're coming down with something um the idea is, is that you take some echinacea, uh, preferably, I mean, you could have it in tea or you could have a tincture. I'm not sure the exact measurements of how you would take that. Um, there's some research which suggests that three to five cups a day in the initial stages of illness um, can, it can, one, it can prevent the illness. But what it can also do is it can lower the severity and reduce the time that you suffer from it so a uh, big farmer and such are basically you know they've tried to rebuke this and say no 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 this doesn't work this doesn't work but there's consistently good research that comes out about echinacea because it's one of those ones that's really studied well um and so yeah that's one thing that you could do there's a couple other herbs one is oh, called on. astragalus Elliot, yeah i just wanted
3: to say that there actually is some research that shows that echinacea is even helpful even after onset like so even after the point where it's kind of like the, the very beginnings of it um so people have always been kind of like oh it's too late to take any echinacea but there's actually been some research that has shown that it is beneficial even like throughout the whole illness that it can shorten the duration
5: oh great that's even better awesome yeah. well you know just take e- echinacea
2: <laughs> yeah that's it
5: yeah astragalus <laughs> is one as well i've been looking into astragalus mm-hmm. recently this is a really good one um, for it's like uh, really good for the immune system, um, and maybe some adaptogens as well. Um, I think there's some good research about how they can boost immunity. So, like, uh, mm-hmm. such as um, what is it, ashwagandha, or maybe some rhodiola or something. Mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm. Ginseng as
0: well. Regarding
5: minerals,
4: uh,
0: a... quite good, isn't it? Yeah, like
4: minerals.
0: Well one Go of ahead, our Gabby. chatters. A... Oh I'm gonna step
4: out of the way. <laughs> 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 I was just gonna add about rest. Like nobody wants to rest. You just mm-hmm. wanna keep going because kind of like they're mad because they're sick and mm-hmm. others do have to work and they have no choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But I try to put it that way, okay, you can rest now and recover quicker or you can carry on this and you'll get a big problem down the road, you and-
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. trying to go to work and do the things that you normally do during the flu just prolongs the suffering. One of the chatters said, crawl into bed, sweat it out, and let grandma make some chicken broth. And that's my method. Just go to bed. Yeah,
3: that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's what I do. I go to
3: bed. Yeah, and chicken broth, chicken soup is actually like, it is very good. It has glycine in it. It has Mm -hmm. collagen. Like, it is actually very... Good for the immune
1: system. It taste good? Yeah, but I'm, I'm so busy yeah. sleeping out my flu. I, most I can manage is a couple of sips of broth, and I'm back to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, fair. and if you if you've got like a sauna, like that would even I guess that would increase the amount of sweating that you do, and that's mm-hmm. even better. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got like a far infrared yeah. sauna blanket or something, or if you're in bed, get some red light on your face, and I'm that sure. is yeah. surely going to help. You know.
1: And then sit back and thank your lucky stars that your immune system knows what to do. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There's actually um, a study out recently that showed that uh, certain flavonoid compounds actually work with the gut bacteria, or the gut bacteria uses them to make compounds that have um, anti-flu effects. So flavonoids are found in a lot of different foods, but particularly like black tea, red wine, blueberries... Chocolate, although the sugar is going to be kind of counterproductive there, but uh, 100% chocolate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I would think, too, uh, pro- probiotics, too, right? Because if you're dealing with mm-hmm. uh, some kind of a bacterial infection and it's not actually a virus, uh, the probiotics will help fight that off. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I would imagine any any kind of bone broth, that, uh, chicken broth or, like, uh, beef bone broth or uh, fish mm-hmm. broth. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, fish head soup. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's super I actually made some fish head soup uh, last week, and it's uh, quite fishy.
2: Even if if you like fish, it's,
0: it's a little fishy. It's supposed to be very nutritious.
3: Yeah, chuck it down.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I think most of the time, I mean, if you do get it, I think, like, Tiff, what you said, the main key would be just to rest, you know, and take mm-hmm. care of yourself. Take some supplements, but maybe just, like, don't stress yourself out. Yeah. I think uh, <clears throat> preventative, for me, I mean, it's uh, diets and, uh, like I said, probiotics and then, some, you know, some supplements. Um, I mm-hmm. was joking when I said the vitamin C thing, but you can do that. I mean, it will knock stuff out. You just got to stay close to the bathroom. If you don't know what your bowel tolerance <laughs> is for, for vitamin
5: C. <laughs> Yeah, but bowel, bowel tolerance changes. Yeah, yeah because that's true, I mean, yeah, that's true. some so, some days I can only take like three grams. On other days, when I'm really sick, I mean, I can get up to like thir- thirty grams in yeah. the day. And wow. No, no, no bowel tolerance. You know, and that's when you know that you're really sick. So mm-hmm. you know you can. It's yeah, yeah You kind of have it was to.
4: Viruses. Uh, it was the full virus or uh, the full infection and uh, what was it the other one the mononucleosis that mm. has the highest bowel
1: tolerance mm. vitamin c for vitamin C
2: okay.
4: I think we
1: should be we call calling it the... bowel intolerance yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But
0: also on that note um i personally highly recommend liposomal vitamin c uh, mm-hmm. and for our listeners if you're if you're kind of DIY-minded, uh, you can do it yourself. I guess the proper way to make it is with an ultrasonic vibrator, like a like a jewelry cleaner that has a stainless steel basin, and then you mix mm-hmm. the, the ascorbic acid with some kind of uh, uh, fat, um, preferably something like uh, coconut oil or, or even yeah, lecithin. No,
3: it's got go it to be work. lecithin. I don't think coconut oil will work. Okay. I think so.
5: Yeah. Cool. Um, i found some... like
0: a lower level... Um, sorry like a like a way to make it simply and i don't know if this is true liposomal but i have a really insanely strong blender and so i'll just throw Mm. in some coconut oil with some vitamin c powder and some like warm water and then blend it Mm. straight for like you know 30 seconds and then drink that right away Uh, it no no. (laughs) it doesn't
2: matter (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh. but, uh,
0: better
3: than fish head soup
0: yeah. <laughs> but it's uh like i said i don't know if that's true liposomal vitamin c like, i mean NG's encapsulating yeah. some of it but probably not all of it
5: there's there's some debate that on that doesn't. about whether the ultrasound cleaner can actually form liposomes there's some mm-hmm. people who say that it can there's other people who say that it doesn't i don't know whether it produces true liposomes but what it can do, I think, is form phospholipids. So um, the vitamin C becomes incorporated into the phospholipid. And that exactly. is, um, it's more utilizable. Okay. So it is still better than having just standard vitamin C. So even Same if way. it's not liposomal, it's still a good idea. Yeah.
4: I think yeah. that's what, what kind of, to say people that right on my blog, I have a, the recipe for liposomal vitamin C. And the ultrasound cleaner.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And uh, a lot of people report, you know, they, they report their testimonials. Like somebody even posted on my blog that uh, cancer went into remission. I don't know if they did something mm-hmm. else. So I said, I don't know if it makes liposomes. If you want to guarantee biopharmaceutical, grade. But yeah. this seems to help people. You know, people like it. You know?
0: Yeah. Gabby, yeah. can you give listeners the, the URL to the blog in case somebody hears this and they later in the Oh,
4: it's uh, a health uh, Dash. matrix.net and then you search liposomal vitamins. it's just a recipe you know, mm. and that's
0: yeah, it yeah well,
4: i
2: think and it'll help a lot basic
0: of especially if people don't have like a starting point or any kind of you know it takes you a minute to wrap your head around what you know what you're doing and so i guess i think most of our listeners would be aware but just real quick you what you're doing is uh, right either vibrating or agitating <clears throat> to such a degree so that the, nut- the the nutrient, vitamin C or magnesium or whatever it is, is encapsulated in, in little fat bubbles, essentially, right? Like mm-hmm. the lipid yeah. encapsulates the, the vitamin yeah. and it will pass through your mm-hmm. gut more efficiently when you take it.
5: Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's another way that that may work as well. Um, and this kind of links back to the gut. Um, is that often, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think sometimes when you're sick, it's best just not to eat anything or just to drink broth. um, Because, you know, say you are really ill, then you can get like something called leaky gut. So um, the gut lining basically becomes permeable to different toxins and stuff. So you're more susceptible to endotoxin and that can increase the symptoms of the flu. So sometimes it's best not to eat. But also the liposomal vitamin C is just so good for the gut. Um, yeah. It's really good at healing the sort of uh, what is called the the intestinal epithelial junctions. So it can it can sort of it can help it can help with the gut basically.
1: Cool. Mm. Well, I think that's a, a natural function when you're ill, anyway. I mean, when I've had flu, I certainly wasn't hungry at all. My stomach didn't growl. Mm. I didn't want to eat. Mm. So that's this nature of that's telling you, you know, you need to rest and lay down. You're not. This is not the time to be putting stuff into your system. It's time to yeah. clean up. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, also, I don't want to go without. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to yeah. go without mentioning uh, iodine. L- Lugol's iodine yeah. as a supplement for the immune yeah. system. So I don't know if a higher yeah, doses I'm... of iodine during the flu would help per se. I don't want to say that, but certainly supplementing with it would increase your immunity.
4: One of our forum members recently had the flu, and he said that, yeah, I'm going to nuke it, you know, mm. with Lugo and vitamin C. And I think he said uh, he got over like in 24, 48 hours.
0: Wow. Wow. That's really good. Man, you got to
4: check out with like mentality, it, uh...
0: though.
2: <laughs> yeah, you
4: do. So you have to like know what you're doing, kind of. But he did like he's been, you know, researching and posting in the Google thread a lot, and He yeah. had good results, yeah.
0: Because there's some the crossover way. between vitamin C and hemochromatosis, right? You gotta be careful about that, depending on if you have hemochromatosis. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. I,
2: yeah.
5: I am yeah, like... I, I think I think that's it. <laughs> that's only if you if you if you're eating. So oh. the idea is that vitamin C can increase the absorption of certain types of iron. So um, I, I would imagine that if you're poorly and you're not eat, you're not eating much iron, and you take loads of vitamin C, then I, I'd imagine it probably wouldn't be a problem. for Thrombocytosis. Cool. Yeah. Um But maybe wrong. But yeah. On that note, no, I'm no, gonna I stop think, advice.
4: yeah that's the concept basically like you absorb more iron you know with vitamin c and maybe for an acute you know infection you have you know better choice you know it's acute maybe the vitamin c will be okay but if the vitamin c intake gets chronified especially you do it mega doses yes you're going to see your iron stores shoot you know up. Mm.
5: Also, there's another recommendation. I I personally haven't had the will or determination to do it. Whenever I get sick, um, and oh, that, is mm. that is take ah, cold no. showers. No. <laughs> <mean, laughs> that is I mean, Is that a good there, idea there when was, you're actually sick? Like during. The well, sickness? well, I mean, there's some. There's that some sounds testimonials. like it would be a good
1: preventative. But I,
5: mm. I think on the forum, some people said that that it really helped them. Um, when they were sick, just jumping in, I, 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 when I last got quite poorly, um, I couldn't muster up the courage to jump in because I was kind of fluctuating between being really shivery and then really mm-hmm. hot. Um, yeah. But the idea of a cold shower was just really stressful for me, so I couldn't do yeah. that. But if have... someone wants you to try have... it... <laughs> If you
4: have a 41-degree Celsius fever, that would be a good idea, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I, that was my I, first thought, was yeah. think, remembering what the chills is like and, and having that hot-cold fluctuation. The idea of a cold shower is, is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you would have a seizure yeah. from the shivers that you would get. Yeah. yeah. I think I would
3: I hesitate. Wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. it. Yeah.
1: Usually, maybe, if yeah, I have maybe. the flu, I'm so low energy. I'm not getting out of bed and t- getting <laughs> in the shower and drying off and getting, no. I'll just stay in bed.
0: <laughs> I can definitely attest to saunas if you have access to a sauna that's uh, mm-hmm. really good and you just get in there and just sweat and sweat and sweat. You know, you yeah, want to be careful. That's okay. There At you least you can sleep in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, I mean, you can hurt yourself in a sauna. I actually knew a guy who died in a sauna. Uh, what? You know, uh, uh, just from overheating and dehydration. Um, so you got to be careful. But I mean, you know, he was, you're talking like 200 plus degrees, like trying to be a manly man kind of thing. And they were also drinking.
2: Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: so there are factors. Oh, but I'm just saying like you, you, when you're dealing with heat, you want to be careful. That's all I'm saying.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm. That that makes me think of another thing that I I think can be really beneficial is to drink lots of water. Hmm um yeah. there, it's the flesh, right? i, I it, yeah it kind of goes without saying but i remember dr gerald pollock talking about um i can't remember the author of the book but he was talking about a book um that he was reading and it was basically about a doctor uh in the middle east somewhere um and it was sort of many years ago and he had no access he was put in a prison Um, and he had no no access to medicines and there were lots of people in that prison who were really sick and the only thing that he had available to him was water and so he did some experiments and he basically just said to people who who had like you know debilitating sort of terminal illnesses he says look just drink loads of water just keep drinking and uh, i mean it kind of I guess there's there's the argument of whether you should drink too much water mm-hmm. or whether you shouldn't you, you don't drink enough or whatever but this guy basically said that when someone's cro- like really sick if he just he found it by telling them to drink loads and loads of water it basically just well I mean it worked and it they were no longer sick so I guess to some extent it has some sort of flushing effect I don't mm-hmm. know long term if that would deplete you of minerals or anything I'd imagine it probably would but short term i guess drinking lots of water could probably be beneficial
1: yeah i have that the book. Name i of think the author's name is batman jelly or something the book is uh, called batman you're not Sick, you're thirsty
3: no it's it's called your your body's many cries for water and then the subtitle well, oh you made
1: another one too called you're not sick you're thirsty <laughs> i think that was the subtitle wasn't it okay anyway
3: i i, I okay. think the, the the author's name was dr Bat, batman batman
1: Batman? They call him Batman.
3: Yeah, that's they call him Doctor Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He's Iranian, I think.
1: Cool. Uh, okay,
5: yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it makes sense, you know. Uh, that's part of the Gerson protocol for cancer. Is, is I forget the amount, but it's like a gallon, uh, somewhere around a gallon of fresh water per day.
2: that's
0: <sighs> a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to drink really?
2: that much water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, uh, on that note, let's go to Zoya's segment uh, for today. Uh, she has prepared a segment for us about upper, rep- upper respiratory diseases in cats. So as we approach the, the kind of flu respiratory season, um, you got to watch out for your pets, too. So let's check this out.
4: Hello, and welcome to the pet Health Segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and this week's topic is Upper Respiratory Diseases in Cats. Although the winter is upon us, it isn't the only period when your kitty can contract a respiratory disease. It's also important to be aware of such possibility when bringing home or rescuing a new kitten or an adult cat. Here is a recording by Dr. Karen Becker, where she shares information on ways of dealing with such an
2: infection.
7: Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker, and today we're going to discuss respiratory disease in cats. Feline upper respiratory disease is a, a complex syndrome that can affect the eyes, nose, throat, sinuses, and mouths of cats. Upper respiratory infections can occur in, of course, any type of cat, but more commonly affects shelter cats, catteries, which are cat breeding facilities where there's a number of cats in potentially a smaller enclosed environment, as well as the feral cat population. There's a whole variety of different bacteria and viruses that can cause upper respiratory disease complex in cats. But most notably, there are two viruses that are most commonly implicated. Herpes-1, or rhinotracheitis, uh, as well as virus, Both are well known to cause uh, upper respiratory disease in cats. There are some other diseases, Bordetella, Mycoplasma, Rheovirus, Chlamydia, as well as Pasteurella, all can be implicated as secondary invaders as well as a part of the entire syndrome, but typically there's an underlying viral predisposition or etiology that causes cats to have recurrent upper respiratory infections. Transmission is very common because it's a highly infective virus that can be passed around in a, when kitties come in close contact with one another. So It's nasal secretions or eye secretions that are passed from cat to cat contact. So this can be kitties that are grooming, kitties that are hissing or spitting at one another, kitties that lay in common, close environments, or even uh, these viruses or bacteria particles can be spread on toys, food bowls, or even humans that are touching one cat and then touching the other kitty. You can have transmission of disease occur just through human contact. So that's one of the reasons that I tell all my clients that if you are rescuing cats, if you find a cat along the side of the road, of course you should pick it up. But it's really important that if you have an indoor house cat, that you keep any new cat that you rescue from a humane society or that you're bringing home from an unknown stray or fural background or a kitty that comes into your garage that you're thinking about feeding or introducing to your cats. It's important that you keep them separate for about 30 days just to make sure that they're not potentially harboring one of these upper respiratory diseases that can then be spread through all of the cats in your home. When you think about upper respiratory disease in cats, there are, of course, some symptoms that you would associate, sneezing being one of them, rhinotracheitis, sneezing is very common, nasal discharge, conjunctivitis, eye discharge, uh, stuffiness, which causes kitties to not want to eat, decreased appetite, fever, lethargy, anorexia, all are common symptoms as a sequelae to being infected with upper respiratory viruses. With Khaleesi virus, not so much sneezing, but you can have oral ulcerations, joint pain, fever of one to two weeks duration with Khaleesi virus. So these viruses are diagnosed through a test that your veterinarian will do called a PCR, polymerase chain reaction test. It's important to be able to determine which of these viruses is going on because there are some other syndromes that can look like upper respiratory disease, heart disease, asthma, fungal infections, can all mimic what an upper respiratory infection could look like. So I do recommend you get a diagnosis. Most importantly, these viruses can oftentimes run their courses anywhere between one and four weeks. But during this time, many cats don't feel well, they're lethargic, and they quit eating because they can't smell their food. Cats uh, are interested in eating because they're able to pick up the, the aroma of their food, and when they're congested and when their mucous membranes and sinuses are inflamed, they oftentimes choose not to eat. So supportive fluids, um, uh, appetite stimulants, homeopathics. There are some great nutraceuticals you can put cats on to help bolster their immune defenses to help their immune system overcome this virus. But really, we're focusing on supportive care because there's vir- not a specific antiviral medication that's going to help your cat overcome these viruses. At my practice, I use olive leaf arabinogalactans. Lysine and homeopathic no very regularly with pretty good success in helping to shorten the duration of these upper respiratory viruses It's also important if you have a cat that has recurrent Upper respiratory viruses that you need to think about the fact that your cat could be infected with immunosuppressive virus FIV or feline leukemia So we do recommend that you have your cats tested and make sure that they're viral negative with other life-threatening diseases like feline Leukemia or FIV that could be causing immune system suppression and these secondary, in theory, non-life-threatening upper respiratory viruses are allowed to continue to resurface. Some cats are able to clear these viruses and you're done. Some cats become recurrent shedders, which means they never effectively clear these viruses, and they foster these viruses in their body, and during periods of stress, these viruses are allowed to become expressed. So several times a year or maybe even every other year when there's a period of stress, or let's say you're moving, your job schedule changes, you introduce a new cat into your home, those are all biologic or physiologic emotional stressors for your cat, and that can allow one of these suppressed viruses to come back. So it feels to you like, my gosh, my cat never really shook this upper respiratory disease Probably you have one of these viruses that has become expressed. The goal would be to keep it suppressed, but also then to keep your cat's immune system strong to prevent recurrent outbreaks from occurring. Focusing on keeping your cat's immune system strong means number one, reducing stress. Number two, keeping your pet on a species appropriate diet. Uh, you can consider watching my videos on how to wean cats off of dry food and onto canned food, off of canned food and onto raw food if you're interested in giving your cat a species appropriate diet that's going to best fertilize facilitate an appropriate immune reaction. We also recommend that if your cat has been diagnosed with one of these upper respiratory viruses that you not continue to vaccinate for them because your cat's already positive. So it's important that you keep your viral free kitties viral free. If you have viral positive kitties, no problem in uh, nursing that colony, but until those cats are able to either clear the virus or keep it suppressed, it's important that you not infect your viral free kitties with upper respiratory disease complex.
0: Those goats have clear airways. Mm. Sounds like, sounds like that they me. definitely do. Oh, that is getting old. All right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, not Zoya, so yeah, not you, not the goats. It's me. I'm, my joke is getting old. <laughs> I'm getting old. We love, we love the pet health segment. <laughs> Please don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> uh, no, that was that was very important, I, you know, like no offense to people who do feed kibble to their cats. Uh, I know that a lot of people do, but there's like no cat should be eating dry food ever. Uh-huh. They're just not made for it. They're hundred percent carnivores. So I think that that's a, a big problem, mm. you know, it, it, as problems go that we have in society, maybe not that big, but as far as like the health and welfare of cats, uh, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, that was a good segment, uh, very important for people to understand. Um, so I think with that, uh, we can wrap it up. I mean, uh, the point for today is just take care of yourself. You know, don't stress mm-hmm. yourself out. Take it's care of your own, own research. system. Uh, don't don't <laughs> eat shit. Pardon my French. Uh, <laughs> <food. clears throat> and, yeah, stay well. Uh, we will be back next yeah. week. Uh, be sure to tune in to the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern time go to radio.sot.net so have a great weekend everybody
1: see you everybody
2: Bye
0: bye bye